welcome to another episode of Mangum Laughs, infrequent podcast I do with BJ where we discuss stand-up comedy. Today we have a doozy of an episode. This is a really, really good one. We're going back almost four, I guess a little over 40 years, BJ, to one of the classic stand-up routines of all time. It's Richard Pryor live and in concert recorded in 1979. BJ, what did you think? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, you can tell that it was 1979 um, with a lot of things, but... Um, as is sort of always common with Richard Pryor, he's a little bit all over the place, but it was, it was quick. It was good. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is one of my favorite Pryor sets. I would say it's probably my second favorite. My favorite is Live at the Sunset Strip. And that part of that is a little bit of nostalgia because, or not nostalgia, but I guess warm and fuzzies because that was after he had lit himself on fire and almost died. Yep. And he came back and actually did a, a, a set that was really good. This was before that fire inst- uh, incident, but it was after a heart attack, which he talks about. Now, BJ, I don't know if you know this, Richard Pryor had a heart attack at 37 years old. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, he went, he went south quick. It, you know, and he, <laughs> what's interesting is he, he, uh, he had a heart attack at 37 and somehow made it to like 61 with MS. So, uh, yeah, he hung around a while. But, um, yeah, Richard Pryor, one of the all-time greats. I would put him as my number one of all time. I would say two would, would have to be either Carlin or Chappelle, um, some combination. And then, you know, Bill Cosby should be up there, but... Eh, he can't you know. be anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, he's, he's definitely uh, high up there. Um, and it's actually kind of funny because he's he's a comic that got a lot of respect from other comics and and that's i think one of the the marks of true greatness um and it it was kind of funny to me because um mel brooks really wanted him for blazing saddles mm-hmm. um he was ta- well mel brooks tried to get him in in the lead role and uh apparently for maybe good reasons the uh studios would not ensure <laughs> Uh, the film, if Pryor was acting in it, so um, he was recruited to to write for it, uh, but yeah, and it was really good, and, and you could see a lot, especially in that first act. I felt like the first act of that movie was Pryor, and the second was Mel Brooks. Oh yeah, and uh, you could hear Pryor's voice definitely. But no, there was a long period there up until he started doing the movies with Gene Hackman, where no one would touch Pryor, and that's because he would come to the sets with. 10 ounces of cocaine and blow through it in a two-day period and you know he's rambling all over the place high blood pressure i mean i i, I see it prior had a lot of problems and those problems um ultimately i don't know if it led to ms but people have theorized theorized that it certainly didn't help his central nervous system but i will say that he was able to get a really good body of work out even with his problems and one thing he was willing to do and we see that in this special which i thought was really great is he will self-deprecate. He will talk about those problems on stage. Mm-hmm. And so these things that you know are real, this pain that you know he, he really has, he can make comedy hay out of that. And he was really one of the first people to do that, other than uh, maybe going back to some of the comics in the 20s and 30s. Yeah. And, I mean, those sort of probably came from a slightly different place. Um, but, but yeah, he's. I think he set the stage for a lot of comedians that we really like that t- that are self-deprecating and tell stories about themselves i mean i think that a lot of mm-hmm. um chappelle's uh stuff and and another comic that we don't talk about maybe as much louis ck um for 
obvious reasons, I guess. Yeah, he's not quite Cosby, but yeah, he's got problems. Yeah. Um, and actually, he, he made quite a bit of a, an appearance in Chappelle's more recent uh, stand-up, which I thought was interesting. Um, Do you know Louis doing stand-up now? Uh, doesn't surprise me at all. Do you know he actually addresses the controversy? Uh, I'm 100% behind that. Like, I, I think he has to. I, I, I think it's something that he has to talk about it, but I, I'm curious to see what he says about it because... Um, he pisses people off about it. You know what he says? This is a line. He says, people ask Louie, why did you do that? And I said, well, I like jacking off and I don't like being alone. <laughs> That's on brand. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a problematic joke, but it is, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I, again, so, so I feel like, again, problematic jokes, all, all those things. Richard Pryor hits so many of them. Um, and he's also one of the few comedians that does black and white impressions well, and I enjoy them. Well, he started that. He he. I think he was the the pioneer of the white people do this, black people do this. Yeah. And he had the white people voice the who are you, Mister? And then the black people go, Hey, Jack, how you doing, man? Like that thing. Yeah. Like, he started that, and like that has been a template for black comedians for forty years. They're still doing it. And I mean. You know, it's it's hard to go up against a giant like that, and it just I, I feel like it doesn't go quite as well when it's basically in his voice. Um, and yeah. I just find it interesting that that uh, so many people try it rather than sort of doing it basically in prior style rather than finding their own voice, which I think might work. Which I think Dave Chappelle does reasonably well. Um, when he sort of talks about that divide. Uh, and, you know, there are a couple of others, but some of them don't hit quite as well. And, and this was just, he had the routine down and he did it well. And I guess in my mind, to a certain extent, Pryor isn't like an impression comedian like Jim Carrey is, but he paints a picture with his impressions. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Um, Okay, well, let's get into maybe a little bit of a recap of the of the special, if that's all right with you. But if you have yeah, anything to it. plug, now would be the time. Uh, sure. Um, as, as always, we have uh, Mangum Breeds, where we're trucking along with uh, the second book of Harry Potter and uh, shortly getting into our first book of the year uh, with Spinning Silver. So I'm excited to, to get into that. And as always, we have our Whiskey on the Weekend, which uh, it's after a, a little bit of break thoroughly enjoying and then i'm sure yeah. uh, it sounds like you have some some stuff going on with spencer as well yeah spencer and i are doing megan talks tv we are blowing through succession we're almost done with it um, by the time this will post there will also there will be um an episode on season two episode eight called dundee a lot of fun okay awesome. let's talk about the set we've already talked about <clears throat> he does the white people voice black people voice i would like to point out something else about prior and you can see that in this special mm -hmm. but you see it in other specials more there's one that he records in new orleans where this happens a lot and it's how he deals with hecklers or people who were annoying him when mm -hmm. he's on stage because there's someone in this special who's taking a picture and he just yells sit your ugly ass down and the audience, the pop on that joke was huge. And yep. I think it's because Pryor had a bit of a uh, reputation for dealing with hecklers well. And so part of what they wanted to see is him shut down hecklers. I, I watched Dave Attell uh, live one time. And Dave Attell also has this personality of really attacking hecklers. Mm -hmm. And we were all just waiting for it. We didn't want to be the person. <laughs> right. But like, 
<laughs> somebody had to be it. And he, of course, he singled a few people out and, and, and hit them. And it was really funny. But Pryor does that really well. And, and for it to translate to, to the actual special is interesting, too. Because oftentimes that stuff plays well in the room. Mm-hmm. But when you're watching it at home, it seems mean. But he always seems really playful when he's dealing with hecklers. What do you think? Uh, I think he did an impressively good job. So one of the things that I think it was important that the camera got the heckler. Um, and so, like, you knew what was going on. And the other side of it is he sort of started out with, like, why do you want a picture of me? Like, what are you doing? No, one, no one's going to want that picture. Not even you. And and then he went into the, the sit your ass down. And so it was, like, both mm-hmm. self-deprecating and just hitting him with hard. Yeah. And that, that makes – yeah, that's lighter. Um, also, and we're, we're going to get into the content here. Can we talk about all-time pit stains? Yeah, I, it like was... Mount Rushmore of pit stains. <laughs> um, I, it's interesting, and and I've talked a little bit about this, especially early on the the uh, clothing choice. And it's very clear that as comedy specials were recorded and things like that, uh, comedians went a little bit further into their wardrobe choice rather than just like what their style is um, and what's going to look good and matter because I feel like when you're in a club and no one's going to have a video of it, it doesn't really matter like what you're going to look like for posterity's sake. Whereas, you know, here the the shirt choice definitely was, was impressive and, and I mean, not just pit stains, like everywhere. I mean, he was, he was sweating, sweating bullets. Yeah, he was. Uh, maybe a little, too, a little bit too much confidence with the old, old comedians. But you know, when you talk about them kind of dressing as showmen, mm-hmm. you can also think about the fact that he had Patti LaBelle opening up for him. Yep. Uh, and if you ever watch the Eddie Murphy special Delirious, which if you haven't, I mean, everybody should. It's an all timer. He had a band opening up for him too, so it was a lot more common back then for music and comedy to kind of blend. Chappelle mm-hmm. does a little bit of that now. He'll have like the roots open up for him when he's playing in New York. Yeah. But no, that's it's standard. If you go into a comedy show now, you don't expect to have a musical act <laughs> open. You expect an opening comedian, if if they even have one. Right. Um, and I think it's an interesting choice. I think it's a good choice um, just because then you're not competing. Yep. Um, and... Then there are sort of other things that I've seen some comedians do is talk about the last comedian a little bit. And it's just, it's like, all right, you know, you don't need to to piss on each other's shoes. Where it's like, if you have a musical guest or or a musical opener, then, you know, you're not trying to uh, fight for for top billing or whatever else. Yeah, it's interesting. I went to see Jerry Seinfeld once. And, you know, (laughs) Seinfeld, of course, is good. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's, he's good, but he's, he's an old school comedian in the sense that he's got a tight hour mm-hmm. and every word he is, he's planned every single word out. Like it, it, it's very almost robotic in nature. He's, I'm sure that the, the set that I saw, everybody else on that tour saw the exact same set with the exact same movements, exact same words. And he had a guy opening up for him who was a little bit more freewheeling. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking to my buddy afterwards. I was like, you know what? I mean, Seinfeld is iconic, but I think I like the opener better. Yeah. And that's the risk you run when you have an opening comedian is that they undercut you a little bit. Yeah. It was just funny because the way you said once, it's like, I did it once. That's never happening again. Um, oh, I doubt I'll ever go see something <laughs> again. Yeah. Yeah. So you picked up on that correctly. You, you don't need it, to was see it the bad? same hour. 
Yeah, it wasn't bad, but like it's like oh, like he's still talking about like oh, you know, like in the airplane, the and deal you have a little with? toothpaste. Yeah, it's 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 very Seinfeld. Yeah, you heard it once, you've heard it. I mean, and also times. like as you're describing, like if you're not getting energy from the room, then what's the point of seeing it live? Exactly. Yeah, and it, it, people were excited to see him, but it's telling that the I know I'm off the rails here a little bit, but it's telling <laughs> that the most interesting, th- the the biggest pop he got from the audience was when he opened it up to questions and people were able to ask about Seinfeld, the TV show. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but anyway, back to the special. Yep. Um, Okay, well, I mentioned before that Pryor had a heart attack at a very young age. He talks about that. And one of the things he does in this set that I've not seen many other comedians do this well is to narrate different parts of his body. So he has his heart, his heart talking to him, like, "Oh, you thinking about dying? You weren't thinking about dying when you had all that port, motherfucker." And then he like twists, like like the heart is actually speaking to him. And then he like he talks about getting hit in the face once, and how his legs. He talked as you his legs. His down. legs is telling him, "You're not going down. I'm standing up. Nothing wrong with me." <laughs> so this this concept that he's able to like talk as different parts of his body, I know if I ever tried such a thing, I'd sound absolutely stupid. But he was able to pull it off. <laughs> I think the one way that, that you could pull, pull it off, and, and I think it would be very funny if you did your, like, um, the different injuries that prevent you from running. Um, <laughs> but I, I think he did something similar with, like, na- narrating um, things or objects or, or, or animals that wouldn't otherwise have a voice. And so he sort of did, did similar things with... Uh, his dogs, the monkey, the dog next door, uh, the deer in the forest, and and sort of his whole mm-hmm. hunting story with his dad, which was, <laughs> um, yeah, that was strange. Obviously, like not a non sequitur because it's a freewheeling stand up, but felt a little bit like a non sequitur. Yeah, and he gets into that sometimes. Yeah, um, and that would be a that would be a fair criticism of Pryor. I would say that if you know his history, the story about his dad is pretty telling because he grew up with his grandmother. Mm-hmm. Both of his parents were fuck ups and basically weren't capable of taking care of him, and he actually grew up in a brothel. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. So yeah, I mean, like you know, you talk about well, Pryor said he was heavily drinking when he was twelve years old. Well, yeah. I mean, he's living in a brothel with his grandmother who's running a, a, you know, a prostitution ring. So that's how he grew up. A um, couple things I want to talk about with the set. One is, and you know this is coming from me, pet peeve. Levi, stop listening. <laughs> this motherfucker had squirrel monkeys as a pet? I, I was... Uh, monkeys are not pets, people. I, I was... That that was one of my notes, which was, are you completely <laughs> out because of the, uh, the monkeys and, and how he treated them? Um, God damn it, Richard. Like, <laughs> that does not age well at all. You can't have monkeys as pets. He would, that being said, he should never have done that. That's wrong. It's reprehensible. But the bit is funny when he's talking about the monkey trying to fuck things. That, oh, it was hilarious. And then I love that he brought it back for like half a second when the, they're out in the forest. And he goes, <laughs> and it's just like, what? All right. Hear it out I got it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I also thought it was interesting that Richard, during that segment, he talked about how, you know, his monkeys died and his dogs were trying to console him. Um, I think that was the dynamic. And he said he had a German shepherd, Mm -hmm. which I found interesting because, you know, German shepherds in the 60s were routinely used to break up, you know, civil rights rallies and marches. And they became 
synonymous with, you know, like attacking black people. And to the point that like to this day, you don't see many African, you see African-Americans with pit bulls, Doberman pitchers, but not German shepherds because that would, they, there's many iconic images of German shepherds being, you know, unleashed on people who were marching for civil rights. So in 1979, from prior to have a German shepherd, uh, I thought it was pretty surprising. I thought it was interesting. It sounded like all of the dogs that he had were police dogs. And oh, I yeah. found that interesting. And and it was and I, I, it was entertaining how he went into it, but um, he also had a surprising number of pets in general. But but yeah, I, I I did catch that because he basically had a couple of bits about uh, young black guys running from dogs and and you know how the mm-hmm. dogs are just like nope nope he's too fast I don't want to do this um, and and then shortly after that segued into like the dogs that he had yeah so one thing about prior is i i kill him for having squirrel monkeys as pets because i think back then people didn't quite understand how wrong that was and how it just it's wrong based on the intelligence of the animals but also just that animal is not domesticated it's it's not ever going to be a good pet yeah but prior did do a lot for animal rights he's a huge animal rights advocate uh, and that's evident in his last special, Live on the Sunset Strip, where he talked about going to Africa mm-hmm. and going on safari and seeing these animals and like talking about how he's going to support them going forward. And he, true to his word, he gave a bunch of money to them. So if you're listening to prior specials, you're going to hear a lot about his pets because he's always been uh, a big animal rights guy. Yep. And I just, I, I did love the like interplay and just like, and the dogs look at the monkeys like, that's weird. I don't like those hands. What are you doing with those? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, what else can we talk? Oh, I like this segment. So he does a bit here about rape that I think I've heard 47 different comedians do. And that is that if a woman is being woman at any point should be able to lock her vagina, Mm -hmm. you know, to keep a guy in there. Right. It's like, you know, he does the bit, you know, you take him off to the police station that I don't know BJ, if you've heard that before, but that is one of the most commonly uh, stolen bits Ever. And I believe Pryor was the first one to do it in the special. Yeah, I, I've I've heard that and, and similar things to it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's always interesting seeing the origin of something after it's been so heavily used. And yes. it, it does lose a little bit of that specialness, but you can often tell that that's where the origin was and it was still good. And I think the, the biggest... Uh, one for me, which I think was heavily, heavily overused after it was done, was Bullet Time in the Matrix. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still so good, that first couple of times that they use it, but it then got overplayed and and, and everything else. And so I'm sure there are people that didn't see the Matrix first, and so go back and it's like, oh, it's a little hokey, but hopefully they also see like how good it was then and there. Yeah, and that's a frustration for me is when people, when it gets overdone, people can't then go back and appreciate the original. I'll give you another example of that, which maybe is a little bit more obscure and and more vague, but Eddie Murphy in Delirious told a story about his interactions with Bill Cosby and Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. He talked about how Cosby called him and basically told him, yeah, you're doing all this filth, foreign and filth, tell him not to cuss on stage. And then he called Pryor and Pryor said, oh, if Bill calls again, tell him to suck my dick. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and what that was, which you didn't, I hadn't seen in, in specials dated previous to that, was bits about obscure conversations you've had with celebrities. Mm-hmm. 
because that is now that uh, famous comedians do that all the time. Think about how many stand-up comedians have talked about interacting with Tr- Tracy Morgan. Yeah. Or in Dave Chappelle's one of his recent uh, specials, he talks about interactions with O.J. Simpson. That wasn't really a thing before Eddie Murphy did it. I think it was thought to be a little bit um, bragging about yourself. Yeah, you know I, and they talk a, they've talked a bit about name dropping and stuff like that, and then, and it's just done in a slightly different way. And I think it's then it's funny because it's not mm-hmm. the um, what they're known for. It's just like something other something else kind of random that shows them as people in a funny way. Yeah, or Chappelle with Prince, right? I mean, there's a lot of examples of this. Yeah. Um, okay, what other bits do we want to cover here? Um, so there there are a couple that I just thought was the funniest thing. So the him having a mini horse was just so funny to me because my girlfriend <laughs> has them. And so, like, his, <laughs> his complaints <laughs> about them, I just... <laughs> I have like so much to tease her about now and it's just su- like for me that was such a good thing and I've I've made her watch that like bit like two or three times now just because it's worth bothering her about um and oh man there's there are a couple of them that that I just got some really good laughs out of um the and I've definitely heard stuff like this before but just the way he did it the um his talking about his dad dying uh having sex came and went yeah (laughs) you know it's recycling and came and went at the same time one of iconic lines from richard Pryor. um yeah and then oh the um the bit at the end i i don't know why i didn't pick up on it the the first time through that i i watched the special um but when he's talking about having sex with a woman and, and making her come and then does the, you know, he starts making moaning noises and then does close encounters of, of the third kind that just, <laughs> Oh man, it was just so perfect. And it's so iconic now. And, and I guess then it was a little bit, but, but it couldn't have been that iconic at that point because it didn't have the history that it has now. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think it was maybe a bit obscure back then. But yeah, funny, funny stuff. I also like the line. Um, I know this is a really random line, but it just, I, it's one of those that like, it's effortlessly funny to me. Mm-hmm. He says, hospital ain't no place to get well. You can die in there and no one gives a fuck. <laughs> Such a funny concept. Cause like, it's a throwaway line for him, but it's like, wow, it's a, it's a funny way to frame that. Also like when he was dealing with hecklers um, and they were yelling, I think they were some, yelling something like preach. Mm-hmm. preach in word preach and he says he just looked around he said that's black stuff <laughs> like he was explaining it to his white audience as to what what was going on with that heckle very funny yeah and and a lot of those explanations were were quite uh funny to me and then um just i don't know it's like and and mexicans like they don't have any trouble they have their own country and what are there like 40 of them just <laughs> Yeah. Uh, another thing that I've written down, and this is, I probably should have mentioned it when our earlier conversation, when I mentioned that he's an animal rights activist, he did talk about abused dogs mm-hmm. and how, like, when you have it, and I've had an abused dog before, not, not that, that had been abused, that I adopted. And he's like, you pick up your hand and they're like, oh, no, no, like, like they're super scared. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it's, he, it's interesting that he, that's another example of him taking pain 
and making it funny. And it, I mean, nobody goes out and gets abused dogs and adopts them if they don't care about dogs. Right. So you know he cares about dogs. But he's able to still do the bit in such a way to bring up that dogs are abused, but it's still funny. Yeah. But not in a funny like, oh, it's funny that they were abused. He was just able to find comedy in it, which is just masterful. Yeah. And, and I think he just does a, a really um, impressive job about that. And, and he clearly cares for his dogs, and, and they each have different personalities in the bits that he goes mm-hmm. into. Um, and and the uh, was it the the Doberman or that was just like they're not great guard dogs because they'll let the robbers in your house. They just won't oh, let yeah, them leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they just keep them there. <laughs> this is a funny idea. Uh, another thing, and I I believe that this is true, and it just shows you what kind of state Richard Pryor was in at one point in his life. But he said that at one point he was just sitting around the table with his grandmother and just pulled out Coke and started doing it. Mm-hmm. That, if I heard most comedians say that, I would go, well, that's bullshit. I think Pryor probably did that. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, just cause of the reaction that like he has in the story seems about right. And oh, also, yeah, was, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. That whole thing. Yeah, um, and then just everything about it, because I I would guess that give, given how he grew up and and what was what and who was around him, it didn't seem like something that crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if he's drinking at twelve and and in a whorehouse, yeah. right? Then then you know, pulling out some blow in front of his grandma, it's like all right, why not? You know, I want some. And then he connected that to black funerals, right? Yep. With that over-the-top reaction. Yes. Um, and that has since become, you know, obviously a, like a sort of parodied thing. You know, the, the over-the-top affected black woman. You know, mm-hmm. oh, Lord Jesus, that whole thing. Again, I'm not sure that a lot of people were making that joke before he came around. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's interesting that that comes up because that um, I've been watching Hip Hop Evolution on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they talk about the uh, the jazz lines in, in New Orleans uh, at the funerals, and that kind of like reminds me of that. And so I wa- I would think that it's a little bit after this, but probably even starting now that that was starting to make it into um, music culture as well at the time. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, another one t- to bring up here is this, and this is something if you grew up in the South. Um, you've heard this before or it's happened to you uh, it's this your dad tells you go outside and get a branch I'm gonna hit you with it go get a switch yeah that would that was a that's a was hopefully was that was a real thing when I was growing up people did that and you that was it wasn't even that weird and then yeah. you you'd be outside trying to figure out like well what's the I mean what's the thinnest switch I can get away with because mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't want to come in with a big branch so you're trying to find the smallest one and <laughs> it's again turning personal pain into comedy in a way that I, I thought was really effective yeah and I guess I don't know I know that it's common now but was Richard Pryor one of the earliest ones to talk about that violence because it's very very common in black comedians yeah, I don't know. It it certainly is. Um, can you think of well, what are what are the co- what are the modern folks who are doing that? Uh, Chappelle doesn't really do it. I, well, Tracy Morgan does. Yeah, Tracy Morgan does. Um, Kevin Hart does. Um, 
who else did I see recently? I can't remember. I mean, but I also feel like Dave Chappelle had a slightly different background than kind of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that. Yeah, yeah. He was almost like a more like a Cosby type in his background. Where it yeah. was like he he would make fun of how generic and plain his family is. Yes. And that's just drawing on his own experience. But yeah, that, that thing of going and getting the switch as something like Southern people, it's going to make them fall out of their chair because that's totally something that happened. <laughs> I was going to say, and then there's a, an Asian sort of equivalent of, uh, well, there are a couple of them that, that you do see in Asian stand-up. And I think that the that they talk about it is sort of a similar through line. And I wonder, again, if it or kind of originates with with prior yeah did did groucho marx might have talked about that sort of thing can he be his parents uh not he wouldn't he wouldn't have addressed it that directly but he would have had a tongue-in-cheek joke about it yeah or or i could see him like joking about beating his kids because that would have been like a little bit more maybe accepted back then yeah somehow i guess at the time it, it seemed less personal Right. Which is kind of fucked up, but that's just kind of how everybody thought about it. Yes. Uh, Anything else on the content? Um, I So there was one other joke that I, I should have brought up when you, when you were talking about him narrating his legs, but um, when he talked about his boxing, and mm-hmm. and he's just like, I was good in the gym. Not so much when they started moving. And it was just... <laughs> It was such a real reaction, and he does it in such a funny way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought it was interesting that there are some times that he had a bit more of a through line with some of his jokes rather than being a little bit scattered. And I think that was one of the really good ones where he sort of took it to many different places and the, the fighting and the boxing and, and his body talking to him. Yeah, I love that. I mean, he does that really well, and he does it well in all of his specials. I can't think of a prior special where he doesn't do the thing of, like, something's happening, and his body is reacting in some way, and he starts talking like his hand or his foot or his heart or his lungs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all right. Well, I, I again, this is my second favorite prior special. Uh, I think for me, my money, Richard Pryor is the best stand-up comedian of all time. I do want to talk before we cut. I do want to talk a little bit about Prior, um, the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I said before he lived to age sixty. He actually lived to age sixty-five. Here, so he was married four times. Let me let me <laughs> tell you the marriage history of Richard Pryor, PJ. <laughs> Just in case you ever think at some point in your life you were bad at relationships. Married first wife, nineteen sixty. Divorced, nineteen sixty-one. Married second wife, 1967, divorced 1969. Married third wife, 1977, divorced 1978. Married fourth wife, 1981, 1982. Married fifth wife, 1986 to 1987. Married the fourth wife again in 2001 and died married to her. Um, you, you, did you get the 90 to 91? Oh yeah, yeah. So the he, he remarried his <laughs> the, the woman that yeah from eighty six to eighty seven, and then ninety to ninety one, then back to the fourth wife in two thousand one. Yep. Um, <laughs> I mean, also that's just ridiculous. Along with that, 
Did you see when his children were born? No. When is it, when were his children born? Oh, so first of all, it's really funny because when you Google him, you have to click more to see all of his marriage stuff, and it takes you to a separate page. Um, <laughs> if it's that long, that's something else. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Let me pull it up. So basically, He's a lot seven of seven children. My God. He had seven children, and a lot of them were born at kind of the same time. Um, he had and, his first one when he was sixteen years old. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. So first one at sixteen, and then. 62, 67, 69, 84, 87, and 87. So his last two were born basically at the same time from two different women, one of them being his uh, his fifth wife. And he also had a kid, the kid in 1984 with his fifth wife. And so it's just like, oh my goodness, he's... Yeah, he's all over the place here. Yep. And um, I, I, I can sort of see how why uh, some of his marriages were a little bit fraught. Yeah. What the what in the world? Anyway, prior to the man, a lot of problems, but he turned that into some really good comedy. Um, I hope we can do another prior special. Maybe we can do Lab on the Sunset Strip. Would you be okay with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I was also going to suggest that if you haven't seen it, the, the last two of... Um, Chappelle's uh, the specials that that are sort of the end of this like year long tour were interesting, and I think he was it's actually really interesting because he had two very different size uh, rooms that he was working in, and they are very different. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, yeah. I, I I did see both of those. Those those would be good to do as well. All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up, BJ? No, I think um uh, so rating it um and. You know, I think it's fairly obvious from both of us this is a really good one, but I'd say probably top five. You mean top five all time? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, this is a firm A for me. I yes. wouldn't even give it an A minus. Um, it's, uh, mo- I mean, I've probably seen the special twenty times, and I watched it again last night and had belly laughs. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just one of the best. Yep. It's, just, yeah, it's a classic. All right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. This is Mangum Laughs. We uh, review stand-up comedy, and we hopefully will start doing it a little bit more regularly. Thank you for joining me, BJ. Yeah, sounds good. Talk to you later. See you.